It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217 356 9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling Text Line 217 351 5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again, everybody, and welcome to the program. Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk will be with you until 11 o'clock. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Got plenty to talk about uh, this week. We're not going to concentrate too much on baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinals, That's good. And Cardinals just lost let the, again. Let the Cardinals uh, drift away, and, yep. and I don't know if the Cubs can beat Milwaukee, but that's what it's going to come down to, I think. All three of the favorite local teams lost last night. Uh, Pittsburgh beat the Cardinals 5-4. to four. The Cardinals are now 6-16 six and 16 in the month of June, and uh, heading downward. Late last night, the Dodgers beat the Cubs 6-2, to two, and Seattle stopped the White Sox 9-3. to three. Those are your ball scores. We've got plenty to talk about Big news week this week with uh, the Supreme Court and the NCAA and a lot of stuff going on. Well, I feel good about the, our guests today because everybody we're bringing in is smarter than me. <laughs> That's not hard. Well, Michael Leroy <laughs> definitely is smart. Well, one of, those, one of those guys is Steve Beckett, who is with us. Good, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Steve. Good well, to see you, Lauren. Give us a, a summation of this uh, Supreme Court decision earlier this week. I think it was Monday a 9 nothing decision against uh, the NCAA. First of all, how rare is a 9 nothing uh, decision from the Supreme Court? With this court, uh, the chances of 9 to nothing seem like slim and none. And so to have a 9 nothing really, really, really says something about the issues before the court. So uh, the general ruling is that the, the court affirmed the Ninth Circuit and the district court in holding that the NCAA acted in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act insofar as they limited educationally related benefits for student athletes. Now, the headlines don't seem to say that. The headlines almost act like the NCAA lost, student athletes are going to get paid, the, the, there's no definition of amateurism, but that's not, that's not the holding of the court. The holding of the court is a limited one, just like I just like I said. Define education-related. Well, I can't define it. Um, and I think the, what's one of the things the court said, the NCAA and individual conferences and individual schools are free to work on that concept of educationally-related expenses. One of the NCAA's arguments, for example, was People will cheat. Can you imagine that, Lauren? Mm. People will cheat, and they will hire uh, limousines to take students to class. And the court specifically said, in their opinion, they didn't see any reason why the NCAA couldn't have a no Lamborghini rule. So uh, there are limits to to this, and it'll be left up to the NCAA, the conferences, and the schools to figure out what those are. Are we talking about strictly athletes who are on scholarship and I know we are but we also have 
some athletes on full scholarship like football, and you got some athletes like golf and tennis that are on parcels. So if I'm on parcels scholarship, do you still owe me the same uh, education-related thing? Like, Mike, I want you to give me a computer. I want. I have an internship that I want to go. Is is that does that apply to everyone? Well, again, I just don't think I I don't have that answer, and I think that these are the things that the NCAA and its member institutions and conferences are going to have to flush out. Um, but it's clear that the NCAA only allowed, I think, two graduate scholarships for someone who had completed their eligibility. And the district court said that that's anti-competitive, that there are other students who, uh, who are not athletes who can get graduate scholarships. And so, therefore, by the NCAA putting this cap on it, then they're uh, – depriving student athletes of an opportunity to have competition among schools for how well they could do beyond athletics at Illinois as opposed to California. We do have the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. Steve Beckett is with us here the first 20 minutes or so of the uh, program. Feel free to jump in here. So in the big picture, what does this mean for, for the NCAA? Where do they go from here? Well, I think there, there are, are two aspects of that. The first one is what I've said, is mm-hmm. that the NCAA has work to do. Uh, and we know they do. They also have this the NIL, the name it, right. image likeness issue, which isn't part of this decision. Uh, and that issue was out there, you know, bubbling up. Uh, and that, that's going to be a significant problem, I think, as well, in addition to this education-related benefits issue. But the second part of it is, Uh, The concurring opinion of Justice Kavanaugh uh, basically condemned the NCAA for not providing uh, competitive uh, compensation for student-athletes. And that means, according to Kavanaugh, the NCAA is in violation of the Antitrust Act by not compensating athletes, which means athletes getting paid. And, of course, that's the whole model of college sports. Well, for, for many years, forever, for 100 years or more, football and basketball have paid the way for all the other sports, the women's sports that came in later, all the men's sports, baseball, uh, tennis, golf, they're all being paid for by these two sports. Now, when you start, quote, paying players, if that would, be, if that would come about, how does that work? I, I can't imagine. You only, you only pay for the, the only ones that get paid are the ones that are making money? I, I can't imagine uh, an athlete athletic director's um, nightmare that this decision means on how I, I handle all of these programs and the cost of all of the programs uh, and the fairness, you know. So now we're going to have Title IX issues because these male athletes get higher compensation or, quote, educationally related benefits, or do the educationally related benefits have to be spread throughout the programs of the institution? So you can see it. it there, I don't have the answers. I I can only ad, ad, identify problems. What do you foresee as the next court case? The next case along these lines to become to come before the uh, Supreme Court, and might it involve quote salaries? Well, definitely. That's the Kavanaugh concurring opinion is inviting that litigation. Um, you know, the Supreme Court ordinarily takes cases where in the lower courts there have been conflicts in decision. 
a court in California, a federal court in California decides a case this way, uh, result A, a court in New York and the Second Circuit decides a court a case this way, B, the, the resolution is B. And A and B conflict, and it's an important issue. The Supreme Court takes the case to resolve the issue. You didn't have that here. What you had was the, a lower court that basically condemned the NCAA, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which affirmed that condemnation, and then the NCAA, smart lawyers, decide they're going to ask the Supreme Court to declare them exempt, just like that old baseball case. And the Supreme Court said, no chance. The NIL legislation is set to take first July, uh, take effect July the 1st. That's next week. That's <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> they can start making money. And, and is that going to be a wild, wild west? Well, I mean, right now it's going to be a wild, wild west. There are six states, and maybe Illinois will join them if, if uh, Pritzker signs the legislation that would make it seven. There are seven states where athletes can uh, go out and uh, represent the car dealership uh, or uh, do do spots for products, uh, for Coca-Cola, you know, whatever. And now wait a minute. The University of Illinois is a Coca-Cola school. So I guess a player could represent Coke, but they can't represent Pepsi. Well, right now I think under our legislation, as I recall hearing Josh talk about this, the image of the University of Illinois belongs to the University of Illinois. And so the identification of that player with the University of Illinois could be a could be a problem for the advertiser if in fact they don't have permission from the University of Illinois if they're using the University of Illinois image along with the player. I don't think they can use the University of Illinois image with the player. I think the player has to be just in a, yeah, in a yeah, in a generic uniform or generic clothing. I don't. I don't think there could be any U of I uh, identification there. I'm could not positive a, about that. Could you have a let's say in Wisconsin where they have hockey? Could you have the image of a hockey player on and on, on when they have the and the, when they set up the games? You know that uh, that you could actually have this. You could recognize this player on the you know that they're using in, as an image. You, you know, I'm I'm confusing you. I'm sure, but I know. But I mean, are you talking about a collegiate hockey game? Yes. Well, but see, I think that the institution controls that venue and the advertising for that venue. So I don't think I don't without permission of the institution and proper compensation to the institution. I don't think you can do that. We'll know more about that. that Sounds t- like a court case to me. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm sure there are court cases there. But then you asked me the other. I really do think that there'll be Title IX. I'm talking about video games. I understand that, but there'll be there'll be Title IX issues. Oh, there will definitely be Title IX issues because the compensation for male athletes versus compensation for female I just athletes. threw something out to Steve, and, and uh, this is muddies the waters, but I just checked. There are 105 total scholarships allowed for women. They're divided up, but the total number is 105. There are 85 scholarships in football alone. There's going to be over 90 this year because of the super seniors. But uh, uh, how do you treat all those women that are on partial scholarships as opposed to the ones that are on full scholarship? Does that have anything to do with the uh, the use of the of NIL, for example? Well, of course it does. Of, of course it does. I mean, the, don't they have to be treated equally? Yeah, and so I would think so. In some way, that definition, the parity between male and female athletes, has to be resolved. Well, uh, but the concern that you have is that the, 
the quarterback who wants to go to Alabama gets uh, a million-dollar uh, sponsorship deal because of someone who would be identified with the University of Alabama otherwise, you know, which we used to say, uh, you know, a person of interest or somebody who who was uh, aligned with the athletic interests of that institution. And you could never you could never do that before. They're going to have to resolve that as well. Does this affect fandom at all? Well, I don't, don't you think it does? I mean, I think um, the court got it right in some sense in recognizing or at least tacitly approving the district court's ruling that there was a difference between collegiate sports and professional sports and that there's a market out there of the consuming public that wants to see collegiate sports as opposed to professional sports. So they want to watch football on Saturday. They don't want to watch football on Sunday. There are people that way. Now, of course, there are people that want it all. They want both collegiate and professional sports, but that they recognize that market is there and uh, that the NCAA has uh, addressed itself towards that market. But, you know, the NCAA has kind of fouled its own nest when the guy running the show makes $4 million and the athletic directors make 2 to $5 million. They recite these statistics in the opinion. And football coaches, you know, average $11 million a year and assistant football coaches make $2.5 million a year and the kid gets a scholarship to go to school. We're talking to Steve Beckett. If you'd like to join us, we'll keep the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. Coming up later on the show, Michael Leroy will join us as well. Adam Rittenberg at 10 o'clock, and then at 10.30, Dr. Brian Russell from the uh, University of Illinois. He's a senior associate athletic director, kind of in charge of the NIL administration there, and we'll get some of the uh, other questions answered with him. We'll take our first time out on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk and be back with more after this. Stay with us. It is 9-17. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. With Lawrence Aid, I'm Steve Kelly. Steve Beckett is here with us as well. Steve, you know, you can't have nationally run tournaments without relatively similar rules, right? Right. And and it was, it was a simple answer to the NIL, the name, image, likeness thing, is that Congress had this thing two years ago, and, and they've had people working on it. What's taking them so long? Uh, it's Congress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, in the opinion, NCAA basically said that uh, we should be treated like baseball was treated. We're special. And the court said, well, we're not going to do that, and if your remedy for that kind of thing to amend the Sherman uh, Antitrust Act to exempt the NCAA is Congress. And, you know, my reaction was just to laugh out loud. I mean, Congress can't decide anything. You know, can you imagine Congress, uh, members of Congress ruling against the student athletes? Oh, my gosh, there'd be a revolt. They're not going to do that. Well, you would think that they, you think they could push something through. They said, well, they're too busy. Well, really? Yeah, I mean, right. how long, how much would it? They're so busy. Uh, Creating ways not to agree. Well, that, that's true. Well, where do you see this thing going from here? Is financially, the uh, University of Illinois Athletic Department is already stressed, and we know that because of the, the, the debts that they have, the debts that have built up over the years between the Assembly Hall and the and the and the stadium and and all the other buildings construction they're doing. There's these. This is different from their budget, really, but it, it, it in a sense it isn't either because the money's got to come from somewhere. What happens if all of a sudden we're caught in a situation where salaries are required? I think the court um, 
gave um, the NCAA and, and its member institutions an out by saying that the competitiveness could be between conferences. So you could have the Big Ten decide about these extra educational benefits in a way that the Big Ten member institutions like, and it could be different than the SEC or the Pac-12. And obviously the concern that you have about that is that students who otherwise would come and play football at Michigan won't go there because they'd rather go to Florida because the benefits are better at Florida. But that sort of thing is a potential out to this ruling um, because then there would be competition. That's what the, the Sherman Act is about, is making sure that there's competition out there in the marketplace. You know, the stipends are already unfair. Uh, an Illinois player from the state of Illinois gets 2900 bucks here as a stipend. In Tennessee, I think it's, uh, it's between five and 6000 In other words, it's double. You, uh, right now, if you want to go to Tennessee, you get double the amount of uh, stipend. Just hand out cash for, for you. Well, if I it, had been a, an NCAA lawyer, that's the kind of factual basis I would have thrown out there to show that there is competition between the schools well, yeah, for their scholarships. It's, there's nothing fair about See, it. See, I just don't think a scholarship at Illinois is the same as a scholarship at Northwestern, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see a scenario where maybe 30 to 40 powers in college football and college basketball decide to pull out of the NCAA and form their own super conference and four I, I or five divisions? I don't think so because I think they'd face the same problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'd be pretty much starting from scratch. Um, at least uh, the NCAA has the pocketbook to handle the litigation that is is uh, sure to come. Uh, and let's just uh, let's just hope that the NCAA has learned from this as well. I truly think that they put their finger up in the air and thought the wind was coming in their direction, and it was not. It was actually blowing against them. You made the point off the air, I believe, that it, it, they should have accepted the uh, lower court decision. Yeah, I think, I think it would have been better for them to accept the lower court decision, and you, it's possible you could have gotten these con- conflicting decisions. You know, a federal court in Alabama might have been different than a federal court out west. You went toe to toe with the NCAA and yes, yes, Thomas Case. they have never been my favorite. I was going to ask uh, how did that, uh, how did uh, the perception of the NCAA in your mind change after all that? Well, Uh, I still think that that the philosophy of the NCAA that they get to pronounce uh, everything that you can do because that's always been the philosophy. If we don't say you can do it, you can't do it. And that, that's, that's a very difficult philosophy to manage. You know, our general laws of society, we're free. We're able to do whatever we want to do unless the law says we can't do it. And so that, that difference in philosophy, I think, is gonna, has come back and has bitten them in the rear end. Well, I, I don't know where we go from here, but I wanted to keep a kind of a separate the reason we talked about Alston first and NIL second is these are entirely different things. The Alston thing deals with education-related uh, benefits to athletes, and uh, NIL, name, image, uh, likeness, allows athletes to go out and make money, uh, and it really uh, doesn't have that big an impact on the, on the athletic department itself. I mean, costly. It's not going right. to, uh, unless some people who are 
let's say, paying the athletes are taking money away from a budget that would have originally gone to the athletic department. Right. You know, I mentioned Title IX. I think there's something else about NIL, and that's team chemistry. If, well, I'm, if I'm a lineman and I see the quarterback and the wide receivers get this money, uh, what does that do to team chemistry? I think, I think that's a problem, it's too. a good question, and I don't think there's an answer for that. In, in in baseball right now, in Major League Baseball, you got some guys getting $20 million, or another guy's out hitting him, and he's making the minimum. What's the minimum, 500000 Yeah, Steve? I think so, five seventy five. I mean, he's not even making a million bucks. <laughs> True. And, and we could talk to uh, Brian Russell about this as well, but uh, I've had this thought. Uh, what about uh, uh, time constraints and – Hey, Coach, I'm going to be late for practice. i got to go shoot a commercial over here at, <laughs> at uh, Joe's Bar and Grill. <laughs> no, I know it won't, but uh, those are things you have to kind of look at, how they work all that in. True. Well, the one thing about doing a commercial is you do the commercial, and it might run many times. They say, boy, that guy's really busy. No, he only did, a, he did the commercial one time. It took uh, an hour, and that was it. Well, what's interesting we'll see will be, the amount of money that an athlete can actually make using that image. Take what, what, what could Io have made? What could Kofi make if he comes back? It might be too, you know, he might be a year uh, ahead of that. <laughs> well, in the opinion, they talked about the reason why the NCAA adopted its ru- rules. And Hugh McElhaney, you know, was a college player. And he said, every time I scored a touchdown, somebody put money under my pillow. I couldn't afford to turn pro. <laughs> 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 Are you uh, you're a baseball fan? Who's your favorite team? Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah, for my birthday, the Dodgers got no hit by the Cubs. So, <laughs> by how many pitchers? Four. Oh, Four. It was yeah. Crazy. One Just starter crazy. and three relievers. Come and I, on. And I guess they the relievers at some point didn't even know what was going didn't on. Didn't even realize it was a no hitter. Well, there were so many walks. Right. Uh, there yeah, were like eight, eight or walks. nine walks in that game. Yeah. yeah. And so. Yeah. It's difficult. Walks just drive you nuts. Especially. Yeah, no, the Dodgers have disappointed me. I think they've they've underplayed. They they, well, they have, have they but, have some. Uh, but if they get in the playoffs, it'd be like last year, maybe. Maybe. So, how did you become a Dodger fan? Uh, when I was eight years old, my parents went to a Dodger game in uh, Cincinnati. It was a boys' of summer. I didn't get to go to the game. I listened to it on the radio. So where did you live Reese, at the time? Robinson, Urbana, Hodges, Urbana. Yeah, we were visiting relatives Perillo, in Ohio. Snyder, right, you name it. Snyder, Campanella. Gil Hodges, that, you know, you know the thing Rogers. about that. Did any of those guys ever get injured? Because it, it, it was the same lineup every year for years. Yeah, and so I just got fascinated. Then they moved to Los Angeles, and I can remember uh, against my parents' wishes having a transistor radio under my pillow because you know to listen. To, and the only games I could listen to would be like the Dodgers and Cubs. And uh, late at night, you could get KDKA, and I could hear Pittsburgh, you know, that sort of thing. And there was a station in New Orleans, and I could hear the. Astros or the Colt 45s as they were when they first did. So I've just followed the Dodgers for years. I've been to Dodger Stadium. Um, my friend Mark uh, Goldenberg gives me tickets to a Dodger Cardinal game. Yeah. I run into Lauren down in St. Louis sometimes. we got to get on Mark for some tickets. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly how I became a Cardinal fan growing up in Ohio. My dad was a Cardinal fan. He was a huge fan of the Gas House gang and that bunch back there. Oh, boy. And uh, so I – and then Stan Musial was my, my first hero, but I took a transistor radio under my pillow at, and listened to KMOX at night when I was in middle school and high school, and th- those were the good old days, right? They were. They were. Really were. Well, Jack Steve, Buck. we appreciate it. I just the, got my statue of Jack Buck, by the way. Oh, did you? Uh-huh. This is the one that has the audio with it? You yes. Can, you can hear his call? Yes. Or maybe more than one call. I don't know. Yeah. 
Is it the Ozzie Smith call? call? The wizard. That might be his. You could argue it, but uh, his best call. Mm. He, he had some great calls. That that was against the Dodgers too. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, we appreciate your time. Thank you. It's great to see you guys. Always good stuff. Nine twenty-seven. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. We're approaching the bottom of uh, the hour here on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Illini Fellas Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks to Steve Beckett for stopping by and spending some time with us on uh, the NCAA decision. A lot going on uh, in college athletics these days. And the guy we've had on the program a couple of times, Michael Leroy, is with us. He's a professor at the School of Labor and Employment Relations and the College of Law at the University of Illinois. Michael, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm well. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Busy week. A lot of uh, research that you've been going on. Where would you like to start <laughs> with this? We, you may have, uh, you may or may not. I know you're out of town. You may not have heard some of our conversation with Steve Beckett, but uh, certainly an interesting week as far as college athletics go. I heard uh, Steve for the first 15 minutes. I agree with everything he said about the litigation. I do want to add this piece to it. It's reminiscent of where the NFL was with the Players Union in the early 1990s. Um, the players, um, you may recall, they had a disastrous strike in 1987. They then turned to antitrust law. Uh, they got into court, and it's a multi-pronged strategy, and that's what we're seeing unfold with uh, the NCAA. Alston deals with the idea that the NCAA has um, restricted too much the definition of compensation for education benefits. Essentially, it boils down to what the court is saying is at least treat the students who are NCAA athletes the same as every other student. If a student has lab fees waived, waive it for the football player. If a student gets access to a paid internship, then and it's a legitimate paid internship, not one of these conduits for booster money, let that student athlete have access to it. That's the first piece. <clears throat> There's a second piece. It's in the same court before Judge Claudia Wilkin. It's NIL um, litigation. And interestingly, there's an Illinois defensive lineman, Tymere Oliver, who's the lead plaintiff uh, in that case. It doesn't mean Illinois has done something specifically wrong. It means he's he's willing to serve in this role. That's a separate piece. So where I'm heading with this is I think we are settling into a long period of court supervision of the NCAA in Claudia Wilkin's court, and when parties don't like her rulings, they'll appeal it. And as Steve uh, correctly noted, Brett Kavanaugh saying, bring the third piece of it, which is let's frame this as a greater injury. Let's treat these players as workers uh, who have been deprived uh, a fair uh, wage, in effect. That is his concurrence. Well, if that ultimately happens, it's going to break up uh, NCAA amateur sports as we know them. I mean, you, if you're going to start paying them salaries, that's the end of amateurism, isn't it? That's spot on. That, that's where I think this is heading. Um, a USA Today uh, report, Dan Wolken published an interesting news article uh, recently. Um, he talked about a guy named Jeff Nelson, who is a sports uh, analytics consultant with a, a firm called Navigate. Navigate estimates that if the top 32 programs, football programs, broke away from their conferences, they could do TV deals that would be two to five times what they're getting now. I think the setting we're in is going to fundamentally cause programs to say, 
this whole enterprise is going pro. Our athletes have gone pro. We need to think about going pro. And then it's a question of who would be um, able to partner with a uh, another program that is attractive in a media deal and who can afford to pay market rates. The research project I just finished up looked at current salaries in the G League and overtime elite, which range from 250000 to a million dollars a year, and I estimate <clears throat> that a D1 basketball program would have to pay $4.98 million in salary and taxes and workers' comp, all of that. These are your employer costs to have a roster of seven elite players. Can some programs do it? We're going to find out, I think. Well, the only thing I would argue on uh, against you on that would be the fact that if you had freshmen I mean, if you had high school players eligible to turn pro, which we once had when, obviously, uh, and before that changed, if you, you're still going to lose X number of superstar players, and that didn't affect college basketball at all that I could see, even though some of the greatest players of all time, like LeBron, never played college, high, uh, college basketball. That didn't hurt the college game, as far as I can see. Am I wrong? No, your argument's right. Len Elmore has made that argument. He has said people come to watch the game because of the number that's on the, 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 the name of the school on the jersey, not right. the name on the back. I think that argument is right. Um, but so let me frame it a little differently. The second lawsuit, which received a green light on Thursday from Judge Wolken to go to trial, it's not in the news nearly the same way that Alston is. That's the case that poses large damages to uh, the Power Five conferences and the NCAA. Just think about Io for just a minute. He's not going to get a dime from any of the jerseys or marketing around his name, image, and likeness, but he has some value, um, publicity value, that he's lost. A guy like him can make the argument that um, your restrictions on NIL had nothing to do with my making progress as a student at your school. I should have gotten some of that money. Not all of it, but some of it. I think that's the theory of the case that's going forward. If that's true, there will likely be damages. If there are damages, they're tripled under the Sherman Act. Okay. And so then I, think, then I think schools will say, okay, you know, we could draw 15,000 fans to State Farm. We could do that. But the point is, now we have to pay a judgment here. And... Um, how are we going to do that? And there's a, there may be a better TV deal if we go a pro route. Um, I, I, all of us who are in this conversation, meaning the three of us here, we remember when free agency occurred in baseball in the mid-1970s, and there was gloom and doom predicted, and fans wouldn't show up because your favorite player, Ken Boyer or whomever, gosh, you know, now he's, he's Kurt Flood, he's going to some other team. Uh, there'll be the lack of loyalty. Look where we are in 2021. Baseball is healthy, thriving, and really expensive to operate. Well, I, I think that the fans are loyal and the players aren't. <laughs> I think that's always been the case. But uh, that's, another, right. <laughs> that's another story. What, what does this mean for the non-revenue sports? It's really uh, distressing for them. Um, uh, so I think their, their long-term future is um, up in the air. Um, Steve, and, and you were uh, right uh, to say that it's football and basketball that pays all the bills. And if there's a disruption in their revenue model, if there's a disruption in how they're pitched, 
uh, as a business model, it, it ripples all the way through that. So I think they, they have some problems. I, I think, ironically, what this will tend to do is cause um, more programs and more sports to really become amateur again. And if we, if we think about our experiences with uh, non-revenue sports, more and more they're made to look and feel like a version of, you know, international-level competition, you know, great facilities, you know, great marketing, and those women and men in those sports deserve that kind of platform. They do. But the question is, is there a way to pay for that? And I think over time more programs will move back into a, a really amateur kind of mode. Well, I think uh, I think you have uh, Division Two and Division Three NAIA schools already in that mode. I mean, the, where the university decides, do we or do we not want a tennis program? And if they decide they do, they have it and they fund it. I mean, that, that's there's no other that's way. Right. They don't have any money coming from anywhere else. No, that's right. Well, it's interesting too because when you look at the sixty-five uh, programs that are uh, FBS football schools, fifty-three are public. And they have an advantage over the private schools in that they can use their state's bonding authority to build facilities, go out into the market, pay for the facilities with long-term debt. The Northwestern can't do that. They've got to get the money. I don't, you know, I don't know how they get the money, but I assume it's donors. But they, they cannot. Then maybe they can go to a bank and get a loan. I don't know. But the, the public institutions, Illinois, Indiana, you name it, depending on how their state laws are written, they can they can build their facilities and say, we're not paying for it all today. Sign us up for a 30-year bond. We're visiting with Michael Leroy. Let's go to the phones. The phone line, by the way, is open, 217-356-9397. Gary in Urbana has been holding on. Gary, go ahead. Yeah, I just, you know, you talk about, you know, like them getting paid and so forth. You know, like I paid to put two kids through school, and if you're an athlete, why don't, aren't they considering the fact that, you know, if you're going to someplace like Duke or something, that's probably, what, two dollars $300,000 that they're actually getting paid that the normal kid is not getting because so they are getting compensation. Why isn't that considered in this? Yeah, you're, you're right. It is compensation, um, and it's a great deal for them. Um, I think this would be less of an issue if you didn't have coaches who are making five to ten million dollars a year. If you wanted to simplify it, um, you know, if the coaches were getting the same deal that Gary Moeller got back in 1978, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. But I think uh, for observers, they say, "Well, why is that? listen? Don't, don't take my word for it. But take Judge Justice Clarence Thomas. He he asked the NCAA lawyer, if you're an amateur." Uh, group, why do you have an explosion? He used the term ballooning. Why do you have ballooning salaries? So I don't dispute what you're saying. It's valuable. Anything else, Gary? Nope, that'll do it. Thank you. Yep, appreciate the call. Well, I think for a long time, uh, what uh, Gary just brought up, uh, this is uh, this is uh, Delaney's approach to uh, things for the Big Ten, that, that these plus the uh, extra monies that they receive and the other advantages in addition to the scholarship is is worth an awful lot. But then all of a sudden we see $53 million coming back to the university in TV revenue, and it's basically being used for the other sports. I mean, it's not being – the people that produce it are not receiving the benefits from that. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that – that's what's going on here um, is um, there's look, there's inequality 
uh, it's built into sports. The, the whole premise for putting a league together is to equalize the possibility that each team could be a champion. Uh, so that's why you have a reserve clause. That's why you have restrictions on free agency. That's why you have an amateur uh, model, and th- there has to be some level of control. But having said that, the whole point is to set up uh, a competition so that athletic ability really decides who is the best, not some sort of rule-based advantage. Now, to this point about the money, there's inequality in that uh, Title IX is a federal mandate um, that provides for, uh, that requires equal access based on gender, and so. You know, Delaney and other leaders were absolutely correct from a compliance standpoint, but also from a a spirit of competition standpoint uh, to equalize or to to redistribute revenue. Um, But now, if there's pressure on on, uh, Division I sports to pay for athletes, or let's, let's take that off the table. Let's say they don't want to do that. They may have to pay for damages under the Sherman Act. I think that's much more realistic than immediately going pro. Well, that disrupts the model. A little bit ago, you mentioned uh, what if 32 or 35 or whatever the number might be of major powers decide to, to go it alone. Uh, where would Illinois fit into that? Well, I don't know. I mean, cause, because Nelson didn't identify who the top 35 or 36 programs were. Right. I think he said th- 36. Um, I don't know where we'd fit in that. So I can't comment, and I don't. I, I, he he. What he said was that he was quoted in Wolken's article as saying, "The Michigan Ohio State game generates, independently of everything else, twelve to fifteen. I think he said ten to fifteen more million dollars more uh, in additional revenue just around the advertising for that game, Michigan Ohio State." He said the lesser games generate one to two million dollars. He specifically said Michigan Ohio State. He didn't say what the lesser games were. But just look at the numbers. I mean, and, and we can sort of figure out, like, what are the premium games? I've thought about Illinois, but I've, recently I've thought about Nebraska. Is Nebraska a top 35, 36 program? I mean, historically you would say, absolutely. But the past five or six years you would say, I'm not so sure. And we had the athletic director from uh, Nebraska just suddenly resign yesterday. Right. I mean, he just up and said, uh, I'm driving to Montana. See you guys later. Yeah, well, that wasn't his decision. <laughs> I mean, okay. he, he got pushed. Fair. He fell out the window, but he got pushed. Yeah, no, no, no. And and then, I, you know, we don't have time to talk about it. I'd like to know why he got pushed. <laughs> well, I can but, tell you. Um, just look at the football yeah. record. That's that's easy. There, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. Well, and so that, that circles back to what we're talking about about is Nebraska top 36 program anymore. Um, they, the past two or three or four years, they, they certainly haven't been that kind of a program. And if, if the direction uh, that this uh, consultant is talking about is accurate, uh, it could be that Nebraska is seeing the handwriting on the wall and saying, um, we need to have a strong winning season coming up right now. Well, Michael, you wrote some a uh, nice article in the News Gazette uh, Thursday uh, about, uh, and I'm uh, both you and I are both concerned about the situation with Illini financing in in the athletic department. Your thoughts on uh, you know the article and and what went into it, and and what are your where, where do you see this headed now that uh, Illinois is uh, I think pretty clearly the number two uh, debtor among all the uh, universities in the country. Well, um, first of all, this grows out of my research project. I picked five schools, uh, one from each conference, um, and I looked at three strong schools, 
for finances and basketball brands, Kansas, Kentucky, and UNC. Uh, very strong brands, very strong competitors, and they've got low debt levels. They pay $2 million a year to service their debt. I looked at a Pac-12 school and a Big Ten school, Cal and Illinois. Cal has $430-some million in uh, accumulated debt, <clears throat> and Illinois has $323 million as of 2019, the last time there were public reports of this information. Illinois in 2019 paid $22.3 million, um, let's just call it $22 million, in uh, interest payments on revenue of $119 million. That's a big chunk that you're, you're, you're putting out the door just as interest payments. So the question becomes, you know, we can take it two ways. You're, you're, you're going to – three ways. Status quo, I don't think the status quo is going to stay. You have to pay damages. I think that's a real possibility. Or there could be this pressure to professionalize some of your sports. Okay, so if you go down those two paths, if, if you're sitting there, once you have to pay that debt, and it's, it's to a bond. I mean, there are bondholders. Who knows where they are? They're probably like teacher pension funds in, out, you know, in New Jersey that are holding these bonds. They're, um, and it could be individual investors, but they're typically institutional investors. You owe those folks for the next 30 years. You, you have less freedom to deploy. I mean, you just have less money to spend on, you know, what are these damages and are you going pro? So I do have concerns for Illinois, and I have concerns for the schools that have overspent. Because apart from my particular interest in Illinois, it creates a new kind of inequality and imbalance. Okay, so let's say you had a rival. So we're a rival for other schools. Northwestern, we're a rival for them. If we're having difficulty, that rivalry is impaired for them. They they don't have anything directly to do with it, but um, you know so. The, the whole premise of having a conference is we're all in this together. We want to beat each other, but we also need each other to stay healthy, to compete. And I think that's a destabilizing situation. Well, the only thing I would say is if, if they can pay it, I mean, somebody gave approval uh, beyond the athletic department for them to, to build this kind of debt. And we do know that uh, the State Farm Center uh, had a massive uh, renovation, and so did Memorial Stadium. And that's that's over two hundred million right there in those two, uh, you know, the, the bonds for those two are, have been going on for some time, and and they go on for a lot of more years. But in other words, they were two hundred. He, Whitman was under over two hundred million dollars in debt before he even came here. That's correct, um, and that's an important point to make. Yeah, I. It, you and, know, and the I, other thing is the other thing that yeah. we see all this building, and I've brought this up before, Evan and and softball, baseball, and golf, we see all four of them, and yet he stated uh, emphatically that they have the pledges for all four so that, you know, I know that pledges are one thing and, and actually getting the money are, is another, and I know pledges take time and interest is being paid while you're waiting for the pledges to come in, but the point is that those four buildings that we see all that dirt being thrown around out there, that all four of those are basically, quote, paid for. So well, I mean, I, I'm I'm not arguing with that, not at all. I want to go back to my paper, which is now being reviewed uh, by a law review. Yeah. Um, I have charts for the five schools. Uh -huh. On the Illinois chart, the debt line goes up consistently from 2011, 2012 yeah. to 2019. Yeah. It goes up. So you can't argue with 
I mean, as long as the underlying data are accurate, and these are data that are reported to the U.S. Department of Education, by law they have to be reported, uh, I've not seen that trend line go down. Now, I looked at Kentucky. <clears throat> Kentucky had a spike in debt uh, right around 2014. I'm just guessing they built a facility. But what, what caught my eye was they paid down that debt in 2015 to the point where not only did uh, the, the, the slope change from uh, increasing to decreasing, but it sharply decreased. So out of their budget, somebody came up. It could be a donation. I don't know what happened. It could be exactly a donor came through with the $20 million pledge. Now there's a check. But they paid it down on the principal. And I haven't seen any evidence in the charts to indicate. Um, and, you know, so let's just talk about Mike Thomas. He was he was doing these deals. Um and he was getting donations. So, I mean, why is that line not going down on the, the, the debt that you owe? I don't have an answer for that. Well, I think it's going up because it has to go up when you continue to build. And you've got the soccer and the track and you've got the Smith Center. I mean, there's no question that, that the debt has been going up. And even the things that are paid for, the money's not there yet. So those those are those remain debts until the pledges come in. So... Yeah, it, it's 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 going up and up and up. But all I'm saying is that the board of trustees and the and the administration have obviously approved it. I mean, it isn't just the uh, it isn't the athletic department acting alone. They have to get approval, don't they? You're making an excellent point. An excellent point. And I'm an employee of that institution. Yeah. <laughs> and although I have tenure, I mean, you know, I I I wonder about that too. I just wonder. I don't know what questions are asked. Um, I know that, um, you know, we have campus committees that are designed to have conversations, and we've been politely steered off those conversations. So yeah. it, it, it is what it is. So, um, um, but it is a, it's an ongoing concern. Michael Leroy, we appreciate your time, as always. Thanks for taking uh, some time to visit with us. Certainly some interesting stuff going on in collegiate athletics uh, today on and off the field. Thanks again. Thanks for your time, guys. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Michael. You bet. It is 9.50. We'll take a break and be back with more. An open line on any subject until the top of the hour. If you'd like to join us, 217-356-9397. Back with more after this. 9.52, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you until 11. Coming up in the second hour of the program, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com will join us at the top of the hour to talk about the proposed 12-team college football playoff and uh, whatever else comes to mind. And then at uh, 10.30, next hour coming up, Dr. Brian Russell from the U of I will talk to us more about NIL, which goes into effect July 1. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Let's say hello to our friend Marty down in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. Good morning. Um, What's up? You sound like a distraught Cardinal fan. You know, yeah, I I can't talk Cardinal baseball. I mean, I watch. You know, they they're nervous with Kim every time he's out there because his back's still hurting. So you basically got your top three pitchers going into the season all gone with Nicholas, Flaherty, and Kim might as well. And I'm sitting there going, "This is going to be a tough year, babe." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't call about that. Okay. Thank God. Uh, I notice, I don't know how old Steve Beckett is, and Steve, you're, I think, a little older than me. I'm 65. Yep, I'm a little but, older, not much. Yeah, the the three of us 
have something in common. When I was eight years old, I got a transistor radio for Christmas with a little ear thing. Yeah. You know, you could put in your ear. And I wasn't supposed to listen to it after I went to bed, which made me wonder why they gave me the ear thing. It seemed counterproductive. <laughs> but I hid that transistor under my radio for probably five years and listened to every Cardinal game on KMOX. I got a feeling we were listening at the same time. I think we were. And I don't know about your mother, but my mother was coming in and saying, are you going to sleep or what, what are you doing in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mom, I yeah. really am. Then why are well, you awake? <laughs> I lived in an old house that had an kind of an attic space that had been two farmhouses put on sleds and put up on a farm, put to get, you know, tacked together. And we had a, a long, narrow uh, room with just enough room for little kids to walk around, but not, not adults because you hit your head on the, on the roof. And uh, my three brothers and I all had twin beds, boom, 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 right beside each other up there. So the ear thing came in handy. My mom didn't come up there much because she and dad's bedroom's downstairs, and that was kind of nice. Well, t- let's, well, you didn't call to talk about the Cardinals, but go ahead for a couple of minutes. And uh, when was the last time you you felt this way about uh, your favorite baseball team? Well, they're in a June swoon. <laughs> it kind of make it kind of makes me feel a little bit like what Cub fans must have felt like over you know the previous twenty years before twenty sixteen. But uh, I I don't I, I like uh, this new kid, uh, Newt Bomb Newt Bar. Uh, he's got a little life to him, and he's going to be okay. Uh, yeah, remember Mike, Jeremy Hazelberger or whatever his name was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Give him, give him time. Right. I, I like the kid though, but but my my bigger point is, look, you, you pulled the young one out hurt, and they they brought him back way too fast. I mean, he's hitting one sixty or seven one seventy when he left. He's now hitting under one sixty. They should have left him on a long rehab until he got a swing back. Yeah, but it's been a long time even... before that that he was even hitting over 200. I mean, the, yeah, I yeah, know he got hurt, but so... he was... Look, yeah. look I, can, I can resolve everything for you guys real simple. They got the worst hitting team in baseball right now, and they got the worst pitching staff. How's that work? <laughs> how do you, yeah, how do you win games with that? <laughs> here's an interesting stat. When they – I heard it last night from Jimmy Evans – when they don't walk anybody, which isn't often enough, they have the fourth best team ERA in baseball at 195. When they walk at least one batter in a the game, they have the worst ERA in baseball at over eight. <laughs> now, that. What that happens when they walk eight I, guys I, in one game? <laughs> or 12? Well, then it must be about 24, you know, Lauren. I, the problem is they're not very good right now. I don't know if they will be. I'm not sure they won't be the last place team in the division unless they make some changes. And I don't think they can unless they're willing to bring up some, a couple left-handers. They've got a triple-A that are going to be good pitchers someday and let them take some lumps and learn now. Libertor and Thomas, I don't know if they'll do that. You know, I, I don't see a lot of choices for them because of the way the roster's uh, constructed. Well, so if they've got, the, they got the pitching season. staff straightened out, they still have the worst hitting team. <laughs> Well, <laughs> Mr. Positive, I, just just so you know, Mr. Yeah, he's. I tell you what, Lauren, I'll bet the hitting would get a little better if the pitching was a little better. I just got a funny feeling about that. Yeah, you know, but they they got a bigger problem in that Tommy Edmonds talking about. They don't have, they don't go up there and they don't have a a team hitting plan. Well, when guys start barking about internally about things and it gets external, that's not a good sign. Yeah, I was a little surprised and, uh, by not not so much that somebody said something like that. I was a little surprised that it was a guy who was only in his second season 
of uh, Major League Baseball yeah. saying that. But the other guys, uh, Goldschmidt, is, Arenado, they've probably got a little more, uh, a little more moxie. They're not going to say is, that. A team plan is nice, but my thing is each batter should have a plan for himself against each pitcher going in, and and you know they always try to blame somebody. Right now, we just aren't very good. You know what, we though? We got Wainwright coming up to pitch. So just well, think, can't pitch he's the only day. starting pitcher that's won in the last month. Yeah, he's got he's got three of their six wins. And yeah, Lauren, it's the Steve Carlton syndrome from back where Carlton came in the Phillies clubhouse and said, hey, boys, it's winning day. <laughs> that's the only day we're going to win. You know, I get analytics, and, I, and, and, and I guess I'm okay with it. I, I don't agree with it all, but I don't care about launch angle or ball speed going no. out and was it out of this stadium and not that stadium. Who cares? See the ball, hit the ball, no. get on base, move the runners base. along, let's play baseball. Don't strike out, move runners along, and play a crisp game quickly, which means no walks, throw strikes, first pitch strikes. You know, on the bright side, Oviedo is going to be a decent pitcher someday. It's just a shame he's not at AAA where he belongs. But that's just the way it is. They're hurting for pitching, which I didn't think was going to be a problem. But the injuries have really bit him, and well, it's not good. All right, Marty, good to hear from you. One more bright side. Did you ever think that Tyler O'Neill would lead baseball in slugging percentage on breaking balls? Now, that's an odd stat. Nope. But he's made some changes, so there's hope. Lauren, there's hope. We'll go with that. Thanks, Marty. Appreciate the call. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk, hour number two coming up. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397. Or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Baseball last night, Pittsburgh over the Cardinals 5-4, the fifth straight loss for the Redbirds. Late out west, the Dodgers beat the Cubs 6-2, and Seattle stopped the White Sox 9-3 last night. Our guests in the first hour were local attorney Stephen Beckett and Michael Leroy from the University of Illinois. Coming up a little bit later on at 10.30 is Dr. Brian Russell, Senior Associate Athletic Director at the U of I. We're going to talk more on the NIL situation with him. Right now, though, we're happy to welcome in Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com. I'm going to talk some uh, college football with Adam. Good morning, Adam. How you doing? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, we are. And we a lot of talk uh, recently about uh, expanding the college football playoff. That's where we'd like to start with you and see where it goes. Uh, get your thoughts on that idea from uh, going from four and skipping past eight, I guess, and then going on to 12. What do you think? Right, yeah, I mean, the 12 thing was jarring. I don't think anybody really thought that was where they were going to go. I think an expansion was always going to happen. It's happened in every American sport, and even though college football is resistant to any change, um, you know, it was going to be inevitable in this sport. So uh, you know, the more I look at it, I, you know, the more I like it, just because I've always been a, a proponent of inclusion and having this be truly a national playoff and having teams from all regions participate. And, you know, 12 should, should, should do that, um, especially with the – your six highest rated conference champions being part of it and ensures at least one group of five 
uh, conference will be part of the playoff. Um, I think it, it will obviously uh, have opportunities there for Notre Dame and, you know, you know, additional teams from leagues like the SEC and the Big Ten, which have, in a 12-team system would have had the most teams over the course of the last, uh, I guess, six, seven years. So, I, 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 again, I, I like the campus sites a lot. I wish we would have two rounds on campus because I think that's where we most of us love college football the most. Um, but uh, and, and it can still evolve into things. I mean, this is just a, a proposal at this point. But, uh, again, anything that gets – a little bit more inclusion and, and have this truly be a national playoff is something that I'm in favor for. I agree with you. I I think the thing that I liked the most about it was the campus sites and the fact of uh, you, you could really uh, come up with some intriguing possible matchups. Right, no doubt. And um, you know, again, I I would again would love to see two rounds of it. I, I think at least one round and, and having the you know the higher seed uh, you know have that incentive to at least be able to host a game. Uh, would, 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 is, is a good thing. Now, it would be great if the top four seeds also had that opportunity because then that would uh, make that even more of an uh, advantage to be in the top four, not only get a bye uh, and be able to rest a little bit, but then have a game on your campus against the team that played the, the week before uh, on a campus. So um, I, I, I think that would be ideal, but uh, I understand the, the bowl agreements and wanting to keep the bowl people happy and and, uh, you know, again, this is, this is a, an evolution, but it, it's nice to see at least the comments initially from the commissioners you know, talking about the idea of opportunity and access and the fact that, you know, most college football players, uh, especially if you're not a member of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, you haven't really had access to the sports postseason, uh, at least the, the, the championship postseason portion. So um, that would certainly change in a 12-team format. Before you get off that, Adam, is there any way you ever you see in the future, or would this be would the playoff help in terms of balancing out the competition? That's the biggest worry I have is the fact that it's just the same year after year, and teams like Illinois can't seem to get off the ground. No, Lauren. I mean, I, I think that's important to understand. Is that the, the, this does not mean that new teams are going to be winning national championships. Um, most likely, the same teams are going to be winning national championships because they're still going to be in the top four and they're going to have that, uh, you know, not having to play that first game. And, you know, maybe if the format changes, having a game on campus. So, um, you know, I think what's going to change, uh, you know, the variety is, you know, certain programs that are capable of winning a national championship, elevating their play, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about Texas, thinking about USC, um, you know, Florida State is a program that's shown to, it's capable of winning a national title, but they're not in that, in that place right now. In the Big Ten, is there a second true contender? You know, is that Penn State? Is it Michigan? Is it is it Wisconsin? Um, you know, th those are things that I think are going to be interesting to watch going forward. But I, I, you know, I, you 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 may remember a time, but I I, I don't, Lauren, where it, it felt like there were ten or twelve teams that really had a chance to win a national title in college football. That's just not how the sport is. It hasn't yeah. been how the sport is historically. And even with an expanded playoff, I don't envision that changing. I would love to see a little bit more variety, certainly. But I think I think uh, you know anything, a, a, any year where where you can sit there and 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 realistically say there's plenty of 25 teams that can win a national title. We we all know that's not the case. Do you uh, view it from a national perspective? Tell us about where Illinois fits with the new coach, or how how is this? How do you see this working out for Bielema? 
Well, I, I think he's, he's off to a really good start. And, um, you know, I, I think he's he put together a, a good staff and, and, and they, they, they've done a nice job recruiting the state and, and, and taking advantage of um, certainly the, the lead up to June 1st. And then you know, I've seen their coaches out at camps this month and uh, uh, here in Chicago and down in St. Louis. And, and, in, and I know they've been in other spots. And so I think the offseason has been good. And then we'll just see, you know, how, how this year one goes with, with, with some of the, the, the uh, things going on uh, as far as roster-wise. Um, so, anyway, I, 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 again, I, I think it's a, you know, so far so good, but we'll see how it, how it evolves. Adam, awful lot of pressure on Illinois in the first game. It's zero week. It's the only game. Are you coming? I think I'll be there, Lauren, and I hope to see both of you guys at the game. Uh, that, that, that's the plan at this point. And, you know, it, it is kind of a, that featured game of week zero. You know, not only, um, you know, uh, you have, you have uh, a, two power five teams in action, but it's a conference game, and it's, it's a big game. Uh, you know, certainly the, the debut for Brett at Illinois and then Nebraska, um, you know, given the urgency for them to improve, uh, it's a very, very important game for Scott Frost going into year four. Um, you know, it, it just hasn't worked out so far. They're 12 and 20 in his three years, and that's not what anyone thought when he walked in the door. And so this is a, a really, really big game for the Huskers to get off to a good start. Obviously for Illinois, it would be huge to get a win like that in, in Brett's debut and, and show that things are, are going to start to change maybe sooner than, than, than later. Uh, in Champaign. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm hoping to be there, and it'd be great to see both of you guys on the 28th. Speaking of Nebraska, were you surprised by the resignation yesterday of their athletic director, Bill Moose? Well, I was surprised a little bit because I had an interview scheduled with him for uh, for, for late Friday morning that got canceled on Thursday, and I guess I should have known something was up. But, um, you know, I, I, not not entirely, guys. I mean, Bill is, I believe, you know, 70 years old. You know, he's been an athletic director uh, for a long time, you know, was at Washington State, his alma mater. He was at Oregon, Montana earlier in his career. Um, you know, I thought, I thought, I thought maybe he would he would do it for another year or two. But you know, it's the end of the fiscal year. Um, I think Nebraska, you know, maybe sees a, an opportunity to uh, to turn a page and, and let somebody else run their athletic program. And it sounded like Bill was was kind of ready for this step as well. So um, it, it definitely does change the dynamic, though, because. Uh, Bill Moose hired Scott Frost. He's been incredibly loyal to Scott Frost. He has advocated very strongly for Nebraska, especially last year with the whole um, you know, Big Ten uh, season situation and the cancellation and all that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which direction they go in, uh, whether they bring in you know, somebody who's you know, even more tied into uh, uh, the, the university and the football program, or if they bring in somebody like Bill Moose, who obviously is an outsider, but uh, with somebody who certainly appreciated what, what Nebraska offers. In a way too early look at the Big Ten West, who do you like? Who do you see there? Are you going with Wisconsin there as the favorite? You know, I, I, I perhaps I, you know, I, I've kind of had Iowa as my pick here for a number of years, and it just doesn't work out. I mean, you know, I think Iowa, and I don't have the record up with me uh, since, since they last made the Big Ten championship game, but it's something like you know, 43 or 46 to 19. I mean, they've had a very good record since they last made the championship game, but they haven't done it. And that's disappointing. I mean, they've had really good teams and I think they're going to have another uh, really good team. I love uh, the running back, uh, uh, Tyler Goodson. I I always love what they have coming back on on the line of scrimmage. The quarterback play has got to improve. And you bring up Wisconsin. Ever since the Big Ten introduced the championship game in 2011, Wisconsin has not gone two years without making it, whether they were in the leaders division initially 
or the West division. So, you know, this, if that pattern holds, they're obviously going to be back in, in the title game. So I think Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota should be a bit better. You can't count out Northwestern. They've won two of the last three divisions. Uh, and then we'll see what happens, you know, kind of with the uh, Illinois, Nebraska, uh, Purdue part of the of the division. But I, I guess I'm going to stick with Iowa here until until they finally make one of these championship games again. As soon as Steve brings up a question like that, I think, what's the schedule? How who do you play yeah. in the East? And I see Iowa opening with Indiana. You know, if you went back 20 years, an Iowa Indiana game opener, nobody'd even care. But this is a whopper because Indiana's going to be pretty good this year, I think. And I was going to be pretty good, and that's a huge uh, opening Big Ten game for both those schools. No doubt, Lauren. I mean, and on the same day, uh, Wisconsin has Penn State. Now, both of the West teams have those games at home, which is a big advantage, especially with fans uh, back in the stadium. Both of those places, as you know, are are, are excellent home field advantages. Um, and Iowa, you know, they have one of the toughest openings in college football this year with, with Indiana, as you mentioned. You know, a team that was top 15, top 10 at times last year. Yep. And then they have Iowa State, which is going to have its best team in history. That's on the road. And Iowa has kind of had Matt Campbell's number. Uh, Kirk Ferentz has had has not lost to Matt Campbell. So you know Iowa State is going to be geared up in Ames uh, in week two for the Hawkeyes. So, um, you know, that's, it makes the, that, that first game even more important. I, I do like Iowa in that game just because, um, you know, Michael Penix is coming off of another injury another leg injury, um, and, and so I, I think Iowa at home is going to find a way to win that first one, but it isn't easy. I think they also have Penn State in the crossovers. That's a really good point, Lauren. It's always important to look at the crossovers. Uh, I mean, just I don't have the whole schedule up in front of me, but Northwestern probably has the easiest uh, group of crossovers. No Ohio State, no Penn State. I think Michigan they have, but it's on the road, uh, and so they, they kind of miss some of the big boys in the east. Well, I'm not going to let you off, uh, Adam, without a comment on Alston and where you think that uh, the education-related um, uh, assistance is going to is going to work with with the internships and the computers and everything. Uh, where are we going from here with Alston? Well, I just think it's a, it's part of the momentum of, of of distancing from the amateur model, which you know obviously a lot of people that have been around college athletics. Uh, you know, recoil when they hear that. Um, but I just think with, you know, not just the Alston ruling, but, you know, NIL coming soon. I know you guys have talked about it earlier today with some guests. Um, you know, this, this is where we're heading. And, 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 I, and I do think those in college athletics that spend less time hand-wringing and more time adjusting to the reality uh, and embracing the reality uh, are going to be better off. And, uh, you know, that, and that, that's not any, any uh, knock against somebody's age or their background or, or what have you. But this is, this is coming. This is here. Um, and I don't think it's going to go the other direction. So I, I just see it as part of this momentum that's building towards, you know, you know more opportunities for players and, and just a different experience for college athletes now than certainly, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And aren't we feeling better than we were this time last year about <laughs> what's going on? We've got full-capacity stadiums. We've got, uh, knock on wood, a full schedule of games to play. And it's just exciting to get, get back to normal, so to speak. By the way, you talk about a full schedule of games. Wasn't that shocking what happened to North Carolina State in the baseball Yes, it was. Well, going, they're home, huh? Yeah. They're going home and to that's, Raleigh. That's, no doubt. And that's an important uh, point, Lauren and, and, and Steve. You know, uh, Yes, things are certainly looking better. I can't wait to be back in stadiums. But I, I do think uh, every college football coach in the country is going to be showing their teams 
what happened to NC State baseball. You know, in the championship situation, you know, their season was over because um, of their COVID situation because you had some unvaccinated players. So, you know, you obviously can't force people to do anything, but it certainly makes it easier. I think when you have a team that's uh, that's almost all vaccinated and and, and be able to, to get through the season without any interruptions, but that, that's certainly my hope. Uh, but I also think, to Lauren's point, what happened uh, last night in, in Omaha is uh, is a bit of a cautionary tale for all the athletes that have sports coming up this fall, including obviously the football players. Yeah, well, they, what they have uh, they had uh, nine uh, players plus four pitchers that uh, could play uh, due to the. Uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak within the, the squad. Why did they, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, Adam, why did they ultimately decide not to play when they are, they decided first to play and then not to play? Yeah, well, I think, again, it was conversations mainly with the, the local uh, health department and, okay. um, and then obviously having the numbers of players. But, you know, just in the context of, um, you know, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the numbers there. I heard Greg Stanky, this is before they canceled, uh, at NC State, the SEC commissioner with the, with Paul Feinbaum uh, earlier on uh, on Friday talking about how the SEC is not going to be overly lenient as, as far as, as the number of players that you need to have ready uh, for a football team. So you know th- those th- those thresholds, if, if you're if you fall below them, it's going to lead to cancellation. It's going to lead to problems. And again, this is all trying to incentivize the athletes to get the vaccine because it obviously makes it a lot easier when you have uh, more more people that that, uh, that that aren't going to fall into in, in, into these issues. I mean, I'm just reading our story here on ESPN that it was that it was uh, um, you know kind of a an issue. Uh, this is the re- the recommendation of the medical team at the College World Series, and then obviously the the county health department there in Omaha. So that that was what ultimately led to uh, NC State unfortunately having its season ended. That's Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Look forward to seeing you coming up at the end of August. Sounds good, guys. Have a great summer. Reach out whenever, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Adam. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com with us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. It is 1018, and if you've been thinking about replacing windows and doors at your home, how about a trip to the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign? That's where you'll find Mike Mary and his team at uh, the Pella Window Store. They've been assisting homeowners and businesses around here for a long, long time, decades, as a matter of fact. And they do it the right way. There are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows and doors. Things like security, comfort, convenience. Well, the Pella Window Store has all kinds of examples on the showroom floor. That's where you need to see them. You can check out their website, too. But until you see some of these products in person, you really can't appreciate them. They've got the products in several styles and price ranges. Entry doors, sliding patio doors, hinged patio doors, storm doors, Casement windows, double and single hung windows, sliding windows, all kinds of specialty windows as well. From the Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Their hours are Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. Or check them out online at the Pella Window Store, uh, the uh, PellaofChampagne.com. That's PellaofChampagne.com for the Pella Window Store on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And we're back with more after this. Stay with us. It is 1021 on Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate, as usual, until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. If you'd like to join us, anything that uh, might be on your mind on this Saturday morning, we welcome into the studio Dr. Brian Russell from the U of I 
Administration, Sports Administration, a Senior Associate Athletic Director, Sports Administration, and Student Athlete Development. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for coming in. Good morning, Steve. Great to be here. Appreciate you all having me on. Nice long title for you there. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's gonna, right. We're going to have you tell us what all comes under that umbrella, but, but uh, let's get a little bit about uh, your background. You've been with the U of I for, what, three, almost four years now? This is uh, coming up on my three-year anniversary okay. next month, so I've uh, been... Uh, a great three years. Uh, originally, uh, Josh hired me to lead our academic and student athlete development operation, which is our group of, uh, of DIA staff who engage with our student athletes on the academic side, make sure they're choosing degrees appropriately, that we're recruiting them at the, at the right uh, academic metrics that we need to be successful, and then uh, obviously uh, work with them through graduation. Uh, and then Before you get off that, yeah. I see... Uh, Josh announced that you set records this year in academic. Talk, talk about that briefly. Well, it's just it's unbelievable what our student athletes were able to do, and, and as they dealt with the pandemic and and everything moved online. Now, for some of them, you know, you, you think about some of our some of our programs and colleges that are pretty progressive. You know, I think of of our Geese College of Business. They were doing quite a bit online ar- already in terms of uh, just the way that they operate in this global world. But for all of our student athletes to move online. And students in general, that's a big change. Uh, and you think about how we support them academically and how we engage them with tutors and mentors and, and help them stay organized. Moving online and having that kind of success was incredible. So uh, this is something like 21 straight semesters of our student athletes having above a, a 3.0. And, and we were, as a student athlete, whole over a 3.5, which was absolutely remarkable in terms of uh, that, that means uh, from the top to the bottom, every student athlete uh, that wears our uniforms prioritized and did well, which was really cool. You know, in, in my day, uh, athletes tended to go ineligible from time to time. We lost some really great ones if you go back. And I, I think uh, immediately of George Bonsal in basketball in 1957 when Illinois was really good and that just turned the whole basketball. Nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, obviously, but very few athletes go ineligible. And I know you have tutors and everything, but do you lose many athletes that we're not aware of? No, if, uh, if there's wood to knock on, knock okay. on it. But no, we, uh, I, I think this, it's really, it starts with our coaching staff and with our sports staff, the buy-in to understand that that's a priority here. You know, we, we're, de- we're dealing with a, uh, the privilege of being at a world-class institution, top 15 public institution. It's not a cakewalk. I've, uh, you know, when I arrived on campus, this is one of the things that was most attractive about Illinois is that, that uh, from Josh on down, the student-athlete piece is prioritized. And so our student-athletes do incredibly well, and our, our academic support staff, our coaches are, are incredibly proactive of how they support our student-athletes and how they challenge them and, quite candidly, hold them accountable. You know, there, there are times when it doesn't go right, but if they're held accountable, like all lessons in life they learn and they get it right before it becomes what was bad. the women's uh, swimming team uh, record didn't they have this I think an incredible uh, GPA academic? Yep. Yeah. yes yes they were uh, they were over a three eight uh, I, I know that one and uh, <laughs> so certainly uh, you think about some of those some of those student athletes when you think about an entire team a team of 30 and, and for the average to be a 3.8 uh, I would not have helped that average in college, that's for sure. So it's one of those where certainly, you know, across the board, it means they all did well. Where were you directly before you came to the, to the University of Illinois? Yeah, before here, I was uh, spent 15 years on Rocky Top down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and then prior to that, I was uh, my undergrad was uh, at Notre Dame over in South Bend. And uh, so this is uh, three years now. And then about nine months ago, uh, Josh and his administrative team decided to uh, to move me over into a new realm. So moved into the sport administration world. And uh, so now I have the privilege of, uh, of overseeing six of our sports, uh, men's basketball, um, 
men's and women's golf, baseball, women's soccer, and women's gymnastics. So I, I have the privilege of working with six of our head coaches on a daily basis and ensuring that our student athletes have great experiences, that our coaches have what they need to win, that, that we're doing things the right way and protecting the integrity of the institution. And, uh, and then, you know, quite candidly, that, that, we are, that we're meeting the needs and expectations uh, of our fan base, of our administration on campus, and, and what our student athletes require. Uh, in their college experiences. So you're kind of back near home in the Midwest. You're an Indiana native, right? That's right. I'm, uh, I'm an Indiana native from northern Indiana. My wife is a central Illinois native from uh, a little town, Lewistown, uh, out uh, about 45 minutes uh, south of Peoria. So we're about two hours from family in both directions. So we hope to be here for a long, long time. Brian Russell is our guest. So the NIL that everybody is talking about, name, image, and likeness. We're going to bore everybody to death today with this, Steve. Well. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about. That's one of the big issues and how you that bet. works. And what's, what's your particular role in that for the U of I? Yeah. Uh, so name, image, likeness obviously is one of these pieces uh, of, of landscape changes in college athletics occurring this summer. Obviously the Alston case and uh, we'll leave that one to Josh to, to talk about, which uh, I know he touched on some last week. But uh, name, image, likeness, uh, essentially uh, about a year and a half ago, Josh said, we need somebody to lead this effort. We don't know what it's going to be. Uh, we don't know what it's going to entail, what we're going to be able to do, what our student athletes will be able to do, but we know it's coming. And so, Did you do uh, a rock, paper, scissors on that? Or <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, drew, I drew a short straw for sure. So, I'm, uh, you know, Josh tasked me with the uh, – with the, uh, with the, with the responsibility of gathering our group. And, and this is something where, because of the unknowns, uh, we've got a group of 30 that sit around the table and discuss what our plan should be. I mean, this is, I'm certainly not an expert on name image likeness and on branding and on, on uh, everything that goes into it. I just happened to, you know, uh, pound the gavel and call the meeting to order and get us going in the right direction. So we've got a group that really has been strategizing for over a year on what this could look like. So excited that July 1st is almost here. We've got a bill that uh, we expect to be signed prior to July 1st, and, and we're our, we are open for business. Our student athletes are open for business. July 1st is next week. That's right. No <laughs> question. So will you, when you go to, what is that, Thursday? Yeah, I think so. When you go That's to, right. when I looked you, it up. <laughs> when you it was go to work when th- I looked it up. When you go to work Thursday morning, how different is it going to be? I mean, how soon do you really see well, it? The, the athletes have to report into you to, to, to start. They don't have to gain approval. Um, they just have to disclose their deals. So okay. they, we, we won't be in a role of approving or denying. Um, they, they are, you know, the, the bill is, is written that um, they, they should receive fair market value. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the pieces that, uh, that we wrestle with is who determines fair market value. Well, typically the market does. Uh, mm-hmm. There are there are pieces that uh, there there are pieces uh, in a morality clause that that will have a say in um, in guiding student athletes uh, on on what fits in that morality clause and what do, and what doesn't in terms of how they build their brand. But quite candidly, yes, we expect that July first we have student athletes out there that will be able to activate on mm-hmm. local businesses, uh, social media companies that they'll be ready to go. But if Budweiser calls up and says they want to use uh, Fraser for a uh, uh, an ad- advertisement that's not right that's not going to work right well i don't know that we can advise him one way or another but i would agree that um that uh, at some point uh, and this is difficulty of, of the unknown is that we as an institution can't advise on the specific deals we can't be in the deal making business or provide the yes or no on that so there will be a governing body at some point that says a well, governing we, body at the university potentially at the university maybe at yeah. the ncaa level depending on what happens with ncaa okay. legislation someone is going to to enact and say well this doesn't meet the morality clause so it'll be interesting is the university working 
with an outside body at all that that might help represent the, the players or the athletes? So we, um, our initial plan is obviously this is, uh, we're going to take an offensive approach and, and provide a ton of resources and, and provide a lot of guidance and education because this is the scariest piece here is that, you know, we've got student athletes that, uh, that may not have an understanding of the taxes that are involved. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't if, you know, if a car, a local car dealer wants to give me a, uh, a lease based on me appearing on a car commercial, I don't know the taxes involved, and I'm sure that uh, our 18 to 22-year-old student-athletes don't know. And so there will be pieces where we will have resources and, and uh, we'll collect uh, lists similar to athlete representation from an agency. We'll, we'll collect lists and at least give them starting points. Now, they'll have to go out and, and vet those folks on their own and truly operate in the free market, but, but we will provide some resources there. Define athlete, okay? You've got let's say, 90 football players on scholarship this year, full scholarships. You've got 105 women, some of whom are on full scholarship and some of whom are on partials. Do you, is a partial scholarship athlete the same from, from this standpoint as a full scholarship athlete? And, uh, and thrown into that are non-scholarship student-athletes okay. all across the board. Oh, so if I'm on the, the team... Okay. If you're on an active roster uh, through our compliance office and you're on a squad list and you're on a team and you are one of our 500 young men or women wearing our uniforms, you are free to engage in name, image, likeness, endorsement deals. Wow. And this, okay. is, this is what's interesting because, you know, even, even as we sit around the table and we talk about, and I'll, I'll use former names to make sure I'm, I'm not in a deal-making process, but, you know, as we talk about IO and what IO could potentially have done, you know, it, it's easy to think of people like IO. There are we've got talented young women in our soccer program that are apparel designers that are in 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 a design process that will have opportunities. We've got gymnasts that will have opportunities. We've got, I mean, you all are well aware of our you know Mike Small and our golf program. Our golf our golfers. So will does have this apply to Alston as well, um, as well as NIL? I mean, if if I'm a let's just say I'm the 30th guy on the baseball team. You know, I'm not playing, but I'm on the squad, and yet. Uh, would that mean I can get education-related help uh, through the Alston uh, ruling? Same where, same where it, those, those rulings apply to all student-athletes, regardless of athletic aid status. I, I can talk about being the 30th player on the baseball team because I was <laughs> and never got to play. <laughs> well, our, our, goal and our goal and the way that we, uh, that we design our student-athlete development program and what we've done is we've developed this, uh, we're, we're calling it influence. And so you'll see this, you know, it'll, it'll be plastered everywhere. It'll be on our website. It, influence is our comprehensive student-athlete development program that encompasses all of our name, image, likeness education. It's powered by our partnership with Open Doors. It's, it's where we'll house anything and everything that we're doing name, image, likeness with our student-athletes. And that influence program, whether you are the 30th on the baseball team or you are the starting quarterback, the education pieces that are a part of that program will apply to you. And so everyone will have the opportunity because you know, regardless of athletic career, the reality is that our student athletes, you know, brand development is not new. The reality is our student athletes will be working on this brand development piece for post play anyway. Most of them that are going out to find jobs, their goal is to develop a resume and build their brand to get ready and competitive for the job market. Now we just may have an opportunity earlier. But do, but do they have the time or expertise or both to seek out these opportunities while in school? Is there any because you said the university will not help with that. Is there anybody that will? 
Yep. So we will. So um, to clarify, we will help with the educational piece. Gotcha. We we do now. You know, we we bring in folks. We teach our student athletes about financial literacy. Um, you know, when you, you when you if you're a scholarship student athlete and and maybe you haven't come from a a, uh, a wealthy financial background, we want to tell you how you what goes into a scholarship check and what you should do with it and how a bank account works. So we do that already. So that will continue. Everything on the educational side is fair game. So if we want to bring in an expert um, from our strategic brand communication program with our Geese College of Business and our College of Media, we can bring in those experts and they can talk to our student athletes and they can teach workshops and they can do all of that. And so we'll continue to, to have those educational pieces What's happen. the impact on the department itself, both financially and in terms of workload? Mm-hmm. Um, financially probably remains to be seen, but, you know, it will, I think that, that it has an opportunity to be significant um, because if you think about it, there's, uh, there's only so much money to go around, and this is, this is the reality of uh, both Alston and name image likeness. There's only so much money to go, that goes around. And so, so if I got a business that I've been donating to the U of I, I can – take that same advertising dollar and give it to Fraser. That's uh, that is an accurate uh, accurate statement, and this will be. I think this will be one of our challenges. Is to, you know, we've got an incredible group of iFund donors that I mean, they they allow us to operate. They allow us to provide full scholarships for our women's tennis student athletes. They allow us to provide partial scholarships in our baseball program. It's those iFund donors are critical to make sure that we're able to provide the access of services and scholarships across the board. I mean, we are we're a well funded program there, but there could be some. It could be in jeopardy if 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 money starts funneling differently. Can a student athlete appear in a commercial or an endorsement or any kind of situation where he or she is getting paid with an Illinois hat on or Illinois jersey or anything like that? Well, we certainly uh, our, our folks over in our uh, Fighting Line Sports Properties would, uh, would be interested in this one. And, and um, realistically, no, they shouldn't be allowed to use any of our trademarked uh, right? logos. And so they... Uh, I would suspect that our student athletes will will be great at wearing orange and blue without the logo. Right. Uh, and if they if they are seeking to use a logo, they would go through the same process that any third party would would go through uh, with our trademark folks to find approval for that. I got one you won't want to touch. Okay. <laughs> Could I, as a student, represent somebody who is supporting Chief Alinawick? <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer it. That wasn't a fair question, but I'm just thinking. I, I I saw the I saw something the other day where there's still businesses in town that use the Ch- Chief Alina Wick, uh, the picture, and and uh, still use it in their advertising, hmm. even though it's gone. Yeah, very for more than a decade. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 off the hook on that one because I've only been here three years. Right. And okay. So uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm past that one uh, in my tenure as an Illini. Can an Illinois student athlete say hi? This is Steve Kelly from the U of I basketball team. Buy your car at so and so. Can they can they do that, or do they do the, Does the viewer and or listener have to assume that? Oh, I know Steve Kelly from the U of I basketball team. Can he say that? The the latter. So it, okay. It, it, no question. They they can't identify as University of Illinois student athletes. So uh, Io could, you know, for the lottery, really? Io could say, "I'm Io Desumnu. I'm uh, a Division One student oh. athlete. I'm a Division One basketball student athlete." But he can't actually say, "I'm on the basketball team at Illinois," or he can affiliate with Illinois at that point. <laughs> so what? Let me say now. Now I've I've graduated from uh, wherever and I've got a business. And I want one of the 
the athletes to, to be a spokesman for me. How do I go about it in initiating that contact? Mm-hmm. This is, uh, and so we are, we're going to take an offensive approach here. And so you'll see a series of workshops and you'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we're in the midst of planning uh, for an open house where we're going to invite local businesses in to learn about this. You know, we, we truly see this as our opportunity to be able to educate the local community uh, and, uh, you know, our groups all the way in the downstate through St. Louis, through Chicago on what their opportunity is here, because we're not going to hide from the fact this is great for our student athletes and we're embracing that. So we're, we're going to have, uh, we'll have an, an open house potentially even next week where we invite the local community and, and businesses in where we talk about this and talk about what they're able to do. And, uh, and so, yes, no question. This is a, this is a, a great idea for a local business no question, a, a, an apartment lease, a car lease, um, a social media spot, all great opportunities. And to connect to our student athletes, it's going to be a simple click of the button and you go to our Open Doors page. So it'll be directly off of our FightingIllini.com. We're going to have uh, our Influence Student Athlete Development Program page, our Name Image Likeness Program page, and then Open Doors is our third-party hub for all of that. And Open Doors is a slick platform where, um, you know, if, if Lauren says, I'd really like uh, IO to, you know, sponsor our, uh, Saturday sports talk. And so Lauren would simply go to our open doors page and he'd click on IO's name and he'd connect directly with IO right there. They could do the contract through open doors. IO would get the tax forms through open doors, all handled right there in that third party. And we're out of it. And so that, that relieves us from any sort of, uh, of, of engagement directly in that deal. They're but it's still, deal it's, together. it's still a win-win, though. It's a, it's a win for the athlete. It's a win for the university. It's a win for the business. Great for everybody. Yeah. Great for everybody. I'm not, I'm not sure that that we thought that when, when this subject first came up because we didn't know enough about it. Well, and this will be, you know, we I have the privilege of uh, obviously working with, you know, Coach Underwood and our basketball staff, and, and we've been talking about this in the basketball world for, for a while. Coach Bielema and the, and the football staff have been talking about this. And, and, and really, and this is about recruiting for them because as in the recruiting process, prospective student-athletes can't engage in this. Businesses can't engage with prospective student-athletes. But you better believe it impacts recruiting positively. If our local community is supportive of our current basketball program, recruits see that. Even though we can't have engagement with them about it, they certainly see it. That's what I want to bring up. This is a possibility of a recruiting infraction if you deal with a, a high school player and tell him what he could receive before he gets here. I mean, be, you, you could generalize, but you couldn't be specific, right? That's exactly right. We, we could not say, so if we took uh, Recruit X and we said, we think based on our resources at this world-class institution and the support of our community, that someone of your capability and someone of your profile in the past has earned X, Y, and Z. Now, we can't certainly, this, is, this gets into the, this is a fair market. And so, you know, we can't say, well, IO signed the Illinois lottery deal and this is what he got. That's IO's business. That's, we're not allowed to share that information. But, uh, but we can certainly say, a, a, you know, in total, men's basketball student athletes over the course of the last four years have earned X amount of dollars or nearly X amount of dollars through name image likeness endorsements. That seems like, and and this is to be defined, that seems like that that's going to be okay. And so we'll be able to use that obviously in the same way that we say that our academic support services are the best in the country and our GPAs are the best in the country and our Geese College of Business is the best. First thing I think about when you say that is that 
Ohio State's got all these businesses and all this population in Columbus, and mm-hmm. and uh, boy, they, they, again, they've got another. Ad, they've already got advantages, but these this will be more. This yeah, there. I, I think certainly that there will be marketplaces that do have an advantage with name image likeness. Yeah, no question. But we've got incredible supporters, and I think we're we're positioned well. Good stuff. Anything you'd like to add? You, you seem pretty excited about uh, jumping into this. Well, we are. You know, and this is, uh, you know, from uh, I think we really go the direction that, that Josh led us here, and that's that that there will be a line, and then say will help define it, we would assume, with, with, a, with legislation or, or hopefully um, a federal solution, NCA solution, something to make it a little bit more clear across the board. Now, we're fortunate that, that our governor is going to sign this bill and, and that you we're going to You think he'll sign state. it this week? I would hope so. I, I believe I believe he would. Yep, I, mm-hmm. I hope so. I think we're trending that direction. And, and if, if when this goes active, we're fortunate. But uh, eventually there will be a line, and we're going to better understand the delineation of what we are able to do and not able to do. But but from Josh down, our, we are excited about this, and this is something where we're going to go on the offensive and certainly have our defensive compliance pieces. But we're going to go on the offensive and, and, and talk about this because we're not going to hide from it. This is changing college athletics, and we have the ability to be on the front end of it, and we have the ability to be proactive with our student-athletes and allow them to gain the advantage on what it means to wear the orange and blue. So we're excited about it. I'm guessing when you took this job back in, what was it, 2018, you didn't really anticipate NIL, nor did you anticipate a pandemic coming along. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's your, right. Your job changes quite a bit over the last three years. That's right. Both of those are accurate. You know, this <laughs> is, uh, I, I think this is what's exciting about college athletics, though, is that, you know, we get a new group of student athletes every year, and that keeps us excited. And, and at the, as these changes uh, occur, what we always go back to is our, our core of unify, develop, inspire, and achieve. And, and our student athletes are going to walk away after their experience at the University of Illinois, participating in our programs, having gone to an incredible institution with just a great experience. And so, yes, while it's different than what I signed up for in 2018, <laughs> we're excited about where it's going. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Appreciate you all having we'll me on. We'll catch up with you a couple of months down the road. We'll see how things are going. We'll see if I'm still as chipper about it, then, <laughs> but right. I, I think we will be. That's Dr. Brian Russell. We'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. 10.48 as we head towards 11 o'clock, the uh, last few minutes. We've got an open line, although the phone's been open all day long, but uh, certainly it is now, 217-356-9397. If you'd like to jump in, let's go to Alan, and Montrose has been hanging on a little bit. Hey, Alan, what's up? Morning, guys. Uh, what time's the uh, Nebraska game? I have a game that day. Uh, 12 noon. It 12 noon. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to get rid of my game, I guess, to go to it. Well, it's probably uh, easier for you to get rid of the game than uh, for them to change it for your game. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be every first game every year is important, but I think for this team this year it's really going to set the tone for the season. Everybody predicts we're going to, you know, going to win about three games this year. But I think if we win that first game, maybe we'll build some confidence and uh, build on that and, and be more wins than that. I think there's going to be three things that's going to have to improve. Obviously, the defense is. Hopefully, Peters can be as good as we think he can be. Uh, Epstein has to be the running back we think he can be. But that's an awful lot of big questions to hope to get right. Good stuff. Um, Certainly, those are among the questions that will have to be answered. And I've seen some projections of – 
from uh, you know three to four wins. And I saw one this week that had them at five to six I did wins. Too, yeah. So. Uh, it's just it really depends on an awful lot on those early games with Nebraska and Virginia, which uh, they will be slight underdogs, I suppose. I don't think we'll be a favorite, will we? Against uh, even though the game's here, I don't think so. But it might be pretty close. It yeah, might I be. think it'll be close, and and it's a huge game for Frost and, and Nebraska. It's a huge game for them. So it's it's just a big game for both schools, and and there won't uh, there won't be any interference. That'll be the only game in town, the only game in the country. Anything else, Alan? Do you think Sierkowski will be the number two quarterback? Yes, I do. I, I think that is. I think he will be. And uh, I don't think Epstein will be the the number one running back, though. But I think I who, who will be. Well, I th- I think they feel like uh, Chase Brown. Yeah, I, and Chase Hayden, who's right, a transfer. Right, and and it, and I I know they like Love too, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, um, Epstein missed spring ball, and he's behind, and he's been injured, and I just don't know that I don't know that he's the guy, and 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 I think they think that uh, Chase Brown is going to be pretty good. I think both the Brown brothers are going to be pretty good. Uh, the other one plays safety on Sydney, defense. Sydney Brown. Yeah. But the, the Is concern going to be able to help us anywhere? What's that? Is Beeson going to be able to help us either on offense I or I don't defense? know. Uh, he's going to be a receiver, and but I do think the most dramatic change of the offense will be the use of uh, Isaiah Williams, who is really yes. quick and is very fast, and, and we saw what he could do as a running quarterback. And I think the thing that we don't know is – can he I, can he get open and catch the ball the way that uh, and, and take advantage of these great talents that he has? So we see other fast players that just aren't very effective in football. You'd think they would be, but they aren't. Now, I think he will be. I think he's going to be the surprise of the team. And um, I'm hearing good things in practice, too. I mean, you know, he's out there. They're just – uh, doing seven on seven, and they and they passing the ball to receivers and stuff with defenders on them, and they they kind of figure out who the better players are that way, and and I think he's going to be right at the top of the list, and as a, as a flanker or as a as a I, I don't know exactly where he's going to line up, but I why can't, why can't they use him as an in the route using the well, they will like, uh, they will Purdue does oh sure they use they use the receivers that way. And they, and he would be the the number one guy you'd want to use with that speed. If you can get him yeah. in the open field, he's a he's a threat. Absolutely. All but, right, uh, Alan. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Ten fifty two. Still got the line open. If you uh, would like to uh, jump in, two one seven three five six nine three nine seven. Speaking of Illinois football, the preseason magazines are starting to come out and uh, phil Steele, okay who has done a magazine for a long time is this his last year by the way i don't know i hadn't okay. heard that okay I, I just thought i heard something could be you might be right but he has uh, eight illinois football players receiving preseason honors led by jake hansen who he picked as a fourth team all-american and a first team all big 10 performer also in the first team according to phil Steele, is owen carney Chase Brown is the second team. Blake Hayes, Ethan Tabell are third team selections, according to this magazine. And Tony Adams, Doug Kramer, and Blake Gerasaki, Gerasetti was were fourth team guys. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the thing about this team is they're really experienced in the offensive line. We don't know how good 
Polshevsky's going to be coming back from his injury, but he'll be at right tackle. We, we think that the, the offensive line ought to be pretty effective, Steve, and I think the running back, uh, Chase, as you mentioned, Chase Brown was uh, mentioned there as a, as a potential star, and uh, I think he will be very good, and I think that the tight ends are really strong, and I think Peters is a more than adequate quarterback. The problem then becomes the other side of the ball and the defensive line and the ability of the, of the, to stop the run and be effective in pass defense. Uh, we've got Adams is going to be at cornerback now, and uh, I, I, they're very thin at cornerback, cornerback. Right. And that's a position of that's tremendously important because if other teams can pass on you, well, you can't stop them. Back to the phones. Let's squeeze in another call. John calling from Champaign. Go ahead, John. Hi. A uh, question that Lauren might put in the column to, for all us old people. The oh. basketball team has a player named Coleman Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And Lauren was alive. I was uh, still a couple of years away when the first Esquire concert, jazz concert, the unanimous choice for saxophonist was and one of the greatest three saxophone players in jazz of all time was Coleman Hawkins. And there's a lot of us old folks who wonder if there's any relationship between the Coleman Hawkins and our Coleman Hawkins on the basketball team. And if you find that out, would you put it in your column? Because <laughs> well, a lot of our old folks can't listen to every uh, uh, every minute of the radio shows. <laughs> All, All right, right I'll try to find out. Yeah, I, I think I, the answer is no. I think the answer that, is no. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate yeah, and, that. I, I did. By the way, Lauren, for yeah, uh, when you were talking about the uh, new rules for all of the old picky rules about compensation, I guarantee you there were a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. So, assuming you know coaches, football and basketball coaches around the country better than I do. Um, think about the possibilities of a, the amount of money a, alums will pay just to put people's pictures in their ads, not because they give a darn about people's pictures in their ads, because they're the same people who used to, for instance, in the old Southwest Conference, give a lot of money to players. Um, that's going on right now as we as we speak you're good. right that's right and uh, they can uh, they can do it legally now yes that's it i wonder if doing it legally is going to make it even nuttier <laughs> good point john thanks for the call we need to take a quick break one final break and we'll be back with some final words after this well we're about out of time on this particular program i want to mention steve stricker who's playing lights out golf on the Champions Tour, the Players' Championship over at Firestone Country Club in uh, Akron, Ohio. He's got a five-shot lead after rounds of 63 and 68. He is nine under par, no bogeys through 36 holes. He just keeps hitting those greens. He does. He hit. And now maybe he's getting his putting straightened out. He's, he's, how many putters did he work with in well, the last no, month or so? Well, he's changing the grip on his putter. He got the old the old blade back out now with the new grip on it. Okay. So. You're not going to, don't question his putting for, for very long because he's recognized still as the best putter out there. But uh, if you're looking for some golf to watch this weekend, that would be certainly fun to watch. Mr. Tate, appreciate your time. All right. Good show, Steve. Thanks to Dave Leak as well for helping us out on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good rest of your weekend.